Well, good morning, church. This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Colossians, um, a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome about 2,000 years ago to a church in Colossae. Um, boy, right now, uh, in a short period of time, uh, our world, um, that we know it as Americans, our world that we know it as humans on this planet, uh, has been shaken up. Um, I've, we've never had a pandemic in my lifetime where it's worldwide. Um, and certainly the, the, the future uh, is uncertain. We, we don't know for sure what tomorrow holds, what next week holds. Um, it's, it's amazing how in such a short period of time things can change so drastically. It's in times like these, it's in all times, but especially in times like these that we feel the need for the wisdom of God. And as we're looking into Colossians um, this morning, I believe God has brought us to this part of his word uh, as it's his intention that we be here this morning. And so it is my hope and prayer and expectation that God will use this passage to speak to us right where we're at at this time as a church. We're continuing in chapter 2, starting in verse 16. You read with me. It says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and, and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you still were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning that you would bring your word alive to us. Um, right where we're at, you know each of us intimately. You know what we need. You know uh, what wisdom needs to be imparted to um, the very core of who we are, our heart, Lord. So I pray that you would do that. Use your word to speak to us. Um, and I pray that we'd be receptive to that, to what you have for us. Anything, God, that, that we need to change in our life, change in our thinking, you would show that to us and that we would be prepared and ready and obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So he starts in verse 16. Therefore. And often we say, what is, whenever you run into a therefore, you need to think about why, what it's there for. Why? Why? Why the therefore? At everything, I believe, that comes before this, from the beginning of the letter, 
is what is, is packaged into that word therefore. Therefore, because of everything that Paul has established as a foundation for them, now he's going to speak into what they are facing, what the, what the Colossians are facing in their situation. So what is that therefore? He's saying, therefore, because you have received Christ, because you have put your faith in Christ, because you have your hope in Jesus Christ, therefore, because of who Christ is, Christ, the image of the invisible God, he talked about that, Christ, the creator of all things, Christ, in whom all things are held together, Christ, who through his blood on his cross has brought reconciliation to those who put their faith in him. Taking people from death into life. Therefore, therefore, because, uh, because Christ is in you, the glory of God, the, the wisdom and riches of God, the, the treasure of God lives in you, the power of God through the Holy Spirit living in you. Because of that, therefore, Therefore, because not only does Christ live in you, but every provision is there so that as you live out your life, you can walk in Him. You, you, Christ in you and you in Christ. He established that. Therefore, since, since you have been buried with Him in baptism, the circumcision of Christ is a reality of your life that through faith in Him, your body, your flesh, the, this this body of flesh that, that is conformed to the world that was imprisoned in sin has been put aside, united with Christ in his death, and now you have a new life in Christ through the power of the resurrection. Therefore, and most immediate in context, therefore, because of the, the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross where he took our sin upon him and and. Our sin was nailed to the cross by the body of Christ being nailed to the cross. <coughs> excuse, excuse me. He has defeated death. He has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, the, um, Satan and, and everything, the ruler of this world who, has, who, who was binding us and, and deceiving us and keeping us bound in sin. He has disarmed and triumphed over him. So he says, therefore, because of that now, you're ready to face what's in front of you. Question for us this morning, church. Is that therefore where you're standing? Oh, I just got the, the notice that I'm still plugged in for the, the keyboard. You don't like the, the cool look, the headphones. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In my weakness, he is strong. <laughs> so we got to get past the first word of this passage. Therefore, my question to us, church, this morning, is that therefore, everything that's behind that, is that where we're standing today as we face what's ahead of us? Are we standing in the victory of Jesus Christ? If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then yes. 
you have all of that provision, but are you standing in it? Is that your mindset when you wake up in the morning? Three questions that I, I just want to dwell on, to meditate on, coming out of this passage as I've been studying it. The first one is, where do I stand? As I'm facing what's ahead, uncertainty, a world that's been shaken up, the, the strongest country in the world, suddenly the economy um, in a shaky place, just in, in no time at all. There's uncertainty there, but am I standing in this place that Paul has described throughout this letter up to this point? If you've put your faith in Christ, you have all of that provision. Now, part of what he described there is our choice to walk then in Christ, to walk in the provision that, that he has for us, in thankfulness, and and. and uh, and enjoying the glory of what we have in Christ. Is that where you're standing right now, in the morning when you wake up? Is that the perspective that you have in the outlook of the day? It's the glory of what we have in Christ. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, then those things aren't true of your life. But they can be. It's through faith in Christ. I'm reminded of a story um, of a man who was very confident in his life. He he had uh, he had a family. He had um, a, a place um, of influence. He he had a great job. He was very secure. Uh, in what he had, and uh, he was he was a jailer, um, and and uh, he was in charge of all the prisoners in that jail, and and in one day, two prisoners were were added to his, to his care, and just like every other prisoner, it was his job to make sure uh, that they were kept, uh, that they didn't escape. Um, and he was confident. He'd, he had done this uh, before. He'd, he knew what he was doing. Um, and and uh, he had jail cells with locks. Within those jail cells, he would bind them. He would, he would put shackles on them. And it was his job overnight to make sure no prisoners escaped. Um, he was so confident that even though he was supposed to be there watching the jail, um, he he went ahead and fell asleep. And then a catastrophe struck. Natural disaster, would, it would be what they would call it, struck. And his whole world, he went from his life all put together to suddenly in despair, ready to take his own life. How put together was our life a month and a half ago? What now has been shaken up in our life? What is the foundation of our life that we're standing on? See, that's, that story is not just a story. It's an event that really happened. We read about it in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts. Those two prisoners that were committed to the jail is Paul, the one who wrote this letter, and a man named Silas. And, and the, the jailer 
was everyone in, in, that was in Philippi, everyone was proud of their Roman, Roman citizenship. That was a special privileged place that they had. And he was then a Roman jailer with special privilege and, and special responsibility there in his jail. And, and it was his responsibility then to watch over prisoners. And, and as he was there sleeping, what hit was an earthquake. And the earthquake broke open the doors that were locked. The security that he had put in place with those doors was broken. It broke open the bonds of all the prisoners. It doesn't say just Paul and Silas. All of the prisoners, their, their bonds were broken open. When he woke up in the middle of the night and realized that it happened, the punishment to a Roman soldier uh, for losing their prisoners is, is seen in other places in Scripture. They put to death. Everything that he had suddenly destroyed, and he was ready to take his life. But then he encountered the grace of God. Just like we encounter the grace of God when we find the end of ourselves. And he heard a voice saying, don't kill yourself. We're all here. All the prisoners. It was Paul. Paul and Silas were these two weird guys that had come in and were worshiping God as they sat there in chains in the prison. They had something that he didn't have. And so he rushed to those men and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe, your household believe. And so Paul went and spoke the word of the Lord to him. He spoke the word of the Lord to his household. And everyone believed. We don't know the extent of that household. In that time, it could have been grandparents, parents, uncles, aunts, kids. It could have been that whole household heard the word of the Lord. And they went and got baptized. And for the first time now, that family stood on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the hope of Jesus Christ, which no earthquake, no natural disaster, no virus, no anything could destroy. If you have that same question this morning, what must I do to be saved? The answer is the same to you as it was to that jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord that he spoke to that family is the gospel. It's, it's that we all are sinners. We've all sinned against God. We all need a Savior. We all need to be reconciled to God. And, and, and the hope that we have, the, the word of the Lord is that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take the penalty for our sin. That's what we've covered in Colossians. He took the penalty of our sin so that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ to trust him with our life, to commit our life to Christ, then we receive uh, salvation, the circumcision of Christ, that that old who we are in sin gets put aside in a new person, born again. Christ begins a new work with his life in us. And it's not just that we're, we're saved from punishment. Which, which is what was judiciously accomplished on the cross by nailing Christ to the cross. My sin paid for legally. But then the grace of God into my life, the hope, and everything that we've described that's before that, therefore, 
as we look forward then with hope, not just for what we have in Christ in this life, but the glory of what we'll have when we see him face to face in eternal life with him forever. If that's something God's working on your heart in, and you don't know, what do I need to do then? Just believe in Jesus Christ. You can pray. Tell him, Lord, I want to give you my life. If, if you need help with that, something new, if you're there on our website, uh, we've got a little button at the bottom right-hand corner that you can click and say, I want someone to pray with me. Or if you just have questions, click on that button. We have hosts online uh, that will, that will um, respond to you. You get an individual chat with them. Um, you can ask questions, and they can guide you through that process. Um, if you're watching this later, not the live feed, you can go back to where we have the live feed, and if you click on that prayer button, then it'll send us an email, and we will respond to you. Um, don't let this go by if, the work, if God is working on your heart, and in your heart you're going, what must I do to be saved? If you've already now responded to God and said, yes, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, well then this therefore describes where you stand as you look ahead into what's ahead of us. All right, we've got to move past the first word. Therefore, he says, and what he's, what he's going to then look at is, is these pressures, these outside pressures that the Colossian church is imposing on them. Uh, uh, and, and these pressures are, to, you know, it's judgment to say you're disqualified in your faith in Christ, um, that, that you need to submit to regulations, that pressures of human precepts and commands, passing judgment on them. And there's certainly those same pressures that we're going to face. No matter what we face, the provision that we have in Christ is sufficient. And that's the point that he's going to make here. So he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In this first part, he's addressing uh, those, the Judaizers, those who are taking uh, their knowledge of Old Testament, the covenant with Abraham, the, the law of Moses, and, the, and they're taking that and they're saying, no, if you're going to be a worshiper of the one true God, then you must also do these things. And, and, what you, and, and following, uh, uh, following all of these laws and, and, and what, he, what, what Paul says here is that those things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What is he talking about? We see, God has from the beginning of creation, he has used uh, his own creation, he's used history, he's used the course of events, he's used his laws that he's given, he's used every design with his chosen people to point forward to what he's going to do. He is the uh, infinite sovereign almighty god and so when we look even at genesis chapter one and it, it just says as god is placing the stars in the heavens that those are placed there as signs for seasons and and as we get later in, in through the history of the world and as god has his chosen people and they have uh they have months where they're where as with the moon that god set there the timing of the moon the the 
formation of the stars, those are God declaring from the foundation of the world what is going to happen in his purpose. And then over the course of history, it, it's no accident that as God's chosen people uh, start in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt. And that the, the exiting of that slavery comes ultimately through two events. We see the last plague where, where the people of Israel have to have this innocent lamb in their household that, that then you know, their whole family sees and, and experiences that this lamb is innocent, and yet that lamb then has to be killed, and the blood of that lamb put on their doorposts so that they would be saved from death. That's no accident. That's pointing forward to, to God's Son, innocent, who went to the cross for us, and by his blood then we are saved from death. It's no accident that, that as a whole nation, um, as they're becoming a nation, exiting Egypt, that they have to pass through the Red Sea. They have to pass through water, exiting ultimately that bondage. What do we pass through? The water, uh, the washing of the Holy Spirit through spiritual baptism, and we symbolize that with baptism. It's, it is a passing through of water as the old person is set aside and we become new in Christ. That's a picture. It's, it's a historical event. The sovereign God has laid out that would happen. And, and as we look at, even from the beginning, God said that he, he worked uh, six days and then rested on the seventh day in creating uh, in creating the heavens and the earth. And, and then he goes to his chosen people and he says, well, now I want you on the seventh day also to rest. And then as, they're, as they have exited Egypt and they're entering, looking to enter the promised land, he describes that promised land with every provision for them and everything that they need is described as his rest. That is no accident that those things go together. God is, God is putting in place those things which point towards the future and ultimately read in Hebrews chapter 4 that who is our rest? Now we enter into our rest, which is Jesus Christ, where every provision is there for us in him. He is our rest. And what, what Paul is saying here is, is all of these things that were observed, the, the feasts, the days, um, and, and everything, what, what they ate, what they, what they sacrificed, and everything that was the old system, the covenant of Abraham, what was, was symbolized with, with circumcision. Well, what's that symbolizing? Ultimately, the circumcision of Christ, where, where before it was a physical removal of flesh, but now it's a spiritual removal of the person of flesh from who we are, our identity changing, and our identity now in Christ. It was a symbol. It was a shadow of the things to come. So in verse 17, Paul says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Even the Sabbath, he says there, festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. Uh, uh, the Sabbath, they, they would celebrate or they would observe the Sabbath on the seventh day. That was following and symbolizing the rest that we would have in Jesus Christ. Well, what did we see the church do then? They, they, they didn't meet on the Sabbath anymore. They didn't observe the Sabbath as it was before because they didn't need to. They, they had entered into the one who was the Sabbath rest. Every day we have Sabbath. If you really want to think about what we have in Christ, when I wake up in the morning and my first word on my heart is prayer to Jesus Christ, I am waking up into Sabbath rest. 
every day, the Sabbath. And they no longer gathered. You look in, in, in the book of Acts and you see the disciples gathering not on the seventh day, but on the first day. Why are they gathering on the first day? It's because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We're about to celebrate Easter. Uh, truly, the church doesn't celebrate Easter once a year. The church celebrates Easter every single Sunday. That is why we gather on Sunday to worship, as we're celebrating every single week the resurrection of our Lord. So he says, don't let people pass judgment on you because you're not observing those things from the past. Those things are a shadow pointing forward to what you have in Christ. It's fun to watch my kids open a present um, and, you know, you're peeling back the paper and sometimes they make it extra slow. When I'm the one opening, I like to make it extra slow. And in peeling back that paper, can you tell what's inside? Can you tell what's inside? And as you rip it back, you finally see the picture of what's, what is, you know, it's got the advertising or whatever it is. Sometimes you open the back and it's like, oh, it doesn't show me what it is. And you're trying to guess. And finally you see that's what it is. And you're so excited about what is in that box. And then you open the box and you pull out that gift. And, and, it's, and they start playing with the gift. Do they play with the gift? Or they go back and say, this box is so awesome I, wanna, I just want this box. You know, little ones, maybe, yes, they, they'd love to play with the box. But they're just not understanding what they have in the gift. When we go back and think that somehow we need to still be rooted in the old covenant, in the old law, there, there's things today, influences today that would suggest and movements towards going back and reinstating those things that were before. Those are a shadow. That's the box. The gift is Jesus Christ. That's what we have. And in him is everything. He is the substance. We don't need the shadow. Certainly, we can enjoy going back. I, I love to, to go back and look at the, the feasts and maybe even do a feast. We, it's still a good thing to have a a day of rest throughout the year for our health. That's a good thing that God put out there. But don't let someone judge you on whether or not you do those things. Everything you need is in Christ. All right, he moves on. Uh, he says, let no one, in verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind. These are, they're not only facing Judaizers, they're facing Gnosticism, possibly mysticism. There, there's lots of influences saying, no, this is what you need to do. You aren't a spiritual person. You aren't what you say you are in Christ because you don't do these things, all these practices that they had. What's the difference as he gets into 19? In 19, he says, after saying, don't let them disqualify you because you're not doing these things and not holding, um, they're puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? That's Jesus Christ, the head of the body of Christ. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, that is the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows 
with a growth that is from God. There's a fundamental difference here. One has to do with changing a person by molding them from the outside. You must practice these things. That's what we had in the law before Christ was, was something that because of sinfulness of man, an external law that didn't serve to change the inner man. All it did was to expose the sin of the man. And so they're going back, and, and whether it's the law or it's other things, trying to say, here's what you need to do. Asceticism, to, to, to uh, deny yourself any kind of um, appetite or, or pleasure. There's, you know, that's, there's similarities there to Hinduism and other, other beliefs that would say, no, what the goal here is to get to where I have no desire at all and, and I need to somehow just get all of this in control by what I practice on the outside. But what we have in Christ changes us from the inside. It doesn't even say, let's make something out of this body of flesh. It says, let's control that, but that's no longer you. Put it aside. To create a new person from the inside, Jesus Christ. Something interesting here I think we need to keep in mind is that he's not just addressing individuals. Where do I stand? Um, it's not just where do I stand in that therefore, which where we started. It's where do we stand as a church? He's addressing the whole body here. And as he's saying, uh, don't, don't let them disqualify. Don't let them uh, judge you in these things. You need to be holding fast. You, church, as a body, need to be holding fast to the head, to Christ, from whom the whole body, us together, is being nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, growing with a growth that is from God. As we're facing what we're facing ahead, church, what are we holding on to in our life? What is it that is a substance that we say, this is why I can face? Is it because of our reputation? That jailer had a reputation, and it was destroyed in a moment. Perhaps even now, who we are, if it's tied up in our job, and our job is in jeopardy, then who we are becomes in jeopardy. If, if we're holding on to uh, maybe a position that we've had in society, that maybe the business that I have has been successful and now that's in jeopardy. Is that, is that what I'm holding on to? And those are all external things, just as, as these other influences wanted to impose on the Colossians. Here, here is what you need to be. Here is what you need to look like. Are we imposing something on ourselves that is here's who I am based on my condition and what I have? Or are we holding on to the head? It says, hold fast to the head, Jesus Christ. That's the second question that I have for myself, for all of us as we go through this. What am I holding on to? What are the pressures that we face today to hold on to something other than Christ? As a church, are we holding on to anything? 
I, we've got great tools here. I've got a camera right here. We've got some lights set up. Praise the Lord, we've got some lights. You can see me. Praise the Lord, we've got, a, we've got a Facebook stream, and we've got this new stream and tools. Those are all tools. Those are not the substance. What we have that is accomplishing anything worthwhile right now as a church is Jesus Christ the head. Is that what we're holding on to, and that only for our trust and faith on how we're going to be carried forward in this time ahead of us? That needs to be solely the only source, Jesus Christ. If all the electricity goes out, the internet goes out, and I don't see that happening, but it could. Everything that we put our trust in is what is necessary. What we need in order to be the church is false. What we need in order to be the church is Jesus Christ ahead, and he will provide. He will nourish us. He will build us up. Let's continue. In verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the external, the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? It's almost mocking the way he says it now. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I, I, I imagine these are just things that have, have been coming from these other influences. And, and, and uh, in a sense of mockery, he's saying, these things are referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. A couple things here. They do have the appearance of wisdom. What we will encounter in the road ahead will be things that seem very wise. You must do this as a church. And primarily what's in view here is what we do as a body together. We must always go back to the wisdom of God to test what is truly wisdom because it will seem very compelling. Even these outside influences to say, no, this is, this is what you need to do. You need to observe the Sabbath. You need to meet on the seventh day of the week. Look, there's, e even Jesus talked about the Sabbath being for man and, and, and there's these good things about the Sabbath and I can, I can go make a case for how good the Sabbath is because it is good. But it's good because it pointed towards Christ. But So it seems wise. But I need to go to God's word for wisdom. The other thing here is to note the goal. What's the goal under this? He's saying these things ha seem wise in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. God's concerned with the heart. What's ironic here is that some of these things are, are in, in their presentation are saying, humble yourself. Well, that seems like a good thing. I should humble myself. But when it's an external thing like that, it actually ends up being an expression of pride. That is the indulgence of the flesh, even in, in asceticism to say, look how holy I am because of what I have accomplished by, by abstaining from so many things. Now praise the Lord if that comes out of a heart submitted to the Lord. 
a heart obeying Christ. But if that is me trying to create some self-made religion based on the wisdom of man, it has no value in actually stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The only thing that can stop the indulgence of the flesh is Christ. But then back in verse 20, let's look. What is he talking about here? He asks a question. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, uh, that could be translated like elementary principles. I think what we know of the world from Ephesians 2, that this, the, the world is ruled by Satan and, w- and there is a spiritual, evil spiritual aspect. This is just looking at these are the principles of the world underneath um, an evil spiritual influence. You've died to that. You used to be enslaved to that. But if with Christ you died to that, the elemental spirits of the world, why? Why? As if you were still alive in the world. And we read that and go, wait, aren't I still alive in the world? No, remember the circumcision of Christ. What that's all about is is that I have been united with Christ in his death. So this body that I have in this world, spiritually, before God, in the most real sense, is put to death with Christ. And who I am is not actually in this world. Who I am is seated with Christ in heaven with every spiritual blessing. That is who I am. And it's it's mind-boggling to get our heads around, but that is the truth. And so based on that truth, he says, why would you, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations of this world? Why? Why? Am I living for the external pressures? My image, if I'm facing losing a business, if I'm facing losing a career, if I'm facing going from having much to having very little, to being the one that helps people, to being the one that needs help. Is that what I'm living for in order to be a certain person in this life because you've died to this life? You shouldn't. Why? Why? Would you succumb to the pressures? Maybe, maybe you've, you've been uh, a, a religious person. And, and in all of this, something has changed fundamentally and, and you feel like you just have to keep up a facade of someone who you aren't really on the inside. Why would you try to do that? Walk in truth. Be transparent. Put to death the person in the flesh. Look at who you are in Christ. The final question I have for us is what am I living for? Am I living for something external? Am I trying to make something of myself in this world? The circumcision of Christ, when I put my faith in Christ, The flesh was put off. So then what do I have to live for? (laughs) It's the kingdom of God. His righteousness. The purpose of Jesus Christ. See, when when I'm living for the external pressures of what this world would put on me, that's based in fear. Fear has to do with punishment. 
What cuts through fear and punishment? 1 John chapter 4. Perfect love casts out fear. The love of Christ has already cut through fear and punishment. Punishment was put upon the person of Jesus Christ. I have nothing to fear. I don't need to fear what people think of me. I only, I only consider myself in light of what God thinks of me. Perfect love. He said back in, in verse um, 16, we need to be holding fast to the head. It's for Christ that we're living, from whom the whole body, our church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows. You Individually, we are the joints and ligaments of the body, through the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We see another place where he talks about being knit together. We, we covered that in the past. Um, in chapter, where did I have that? In chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know, church, Paul says, how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. That's what it is to be knit together in Christ, nourished by Christ. Church, as we face What's ahead of us? I expect there will be difficulty. I expect there will be outside pressures, human wisdom pressures that we will face as a church. Um, there's already uncertainty. There's already change. I'm sure that there will be more. But as we face the future, we can, as a church, stand firm together in the victory of Jesus Christ. We can, as a church, hold fast to the head, who is Jesus Christ, who nourishes us, and in Him be knit together in love, even if we're in a distance from each other. We can still follow Him and be knit together in love. And finally, we can live together as a church for the purpose of the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Let's worship together, church, if you guys want to come on up. We need Christ. If nothing else, <laughs> if you got this morning that the only thing that we have that is something to stand on, that is sufficient for all things, is found in Christ. Starting today, John mentioned that we're going to be praying for the next 21 days, for the next three weeks. That is the best thing that we can do as a church together is to seek our Lord, the head of our body. To ask Him. I, I encourage you, don't make it fluffy prayers. If you're used to fluffy prayers where you use, um, you know, Christian speak and you, and you, and it, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. I gotta, I gotta be careful there. To, to, to speak the truths of God's word and th those are great things, but God wants us to ask Him. Specifically ask Him for things and and, and what, as we're looking ahead to the uncertainty ahead, make our requests known to Him. Be specific. Ask Him directly. He says you don't have because you don't ask. Ask the Lord. And keep asking and, and pray and lift up those around us. We want 
the hope of Jesus Christ to be known. We want people who have no hope, whose lives have been just destroyed, or whose lives will be destroyed by all of this change, to be able to find the hope of Jesus Christ and realize that nothing can shake a life that's founded on Jesus Christ. So pray for that. Pray specifically for that and pray for it again and again. Um, as we have these lists that have been put together, it's going to be going out this afternoon on, on praying together. Realize that as the whole body prays in the same day for the same thing, God is hearing His body. That, that, that He is nourishing and is knit together in love, together petitioning Him in prayer. Something powerful to that. Let's, let's do that together in these next three weeks. Let's worship now. I am not what I make. I am who you have made me to be. I am not what I've done. I am loved unconditionally. Well, I am not loved by the measure of love that I bring. I am not who I know. I am known by the King of all kings. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me. You are maker made visible, holding the world in your hands. You are patient and merciful, giver of grace without end. Satisfied simply by being who you've always been. You are infinite love and you prove it again and again. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me.
With you I stand in victory. Now what else could I need? With you I want for nothing. Jesus, my everything. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me. Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. With nothing, I still have everything. Jesus, you are enough for me. You are enough for me. are enough. <laughs> God, let that just sink into my own heart. In every way, you are enough. Everything that I need for life, everything I need for godliness, I have in you. I can't even fully understand that even as a pastor, there's there's glory and, and, and an infinite reality to that, God, that I just praise you because I can't get my head around that. But I can grow in that. I pray that you would help our church to grow in that. I pray that you would just uh, I lift up all the churches, God, who call on you as Lord, that in this time of difficulty that we would learn in a fresh new way that everything we need is in you. God, let us put our faith only in you so that we might not be shaken. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.